welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. What a wild week of cases. There was only one. But it's a good one. Kind of. And before getting into the case, I must thank the powers that be for inviting me to speak at the 35th annual AILA California Chapters Conference. It was an awesome event, and I only wish I could have stayed longer. The immigration bar is truly filled with impressively smart people, and I learn something new, and usually multiple things, every time I attend a panel. It was an honor to speak with Meryl Kahn, Jeremy McKinney, and Amy Lennard. You guys rock. See you all next year. Before getting to the cases, I wanted to talk a bit about Capital Good Fund. Millions of families seeking to improve their immigration status face financial barriers due to the high cost of legal services. Nonprofit Capital Good Fund is working to make these resources available to all, especially those who would not otherwise qualify for traditional loans. Certified CDFI Capital Good Fund is partnering with attorneys to provide the financial services that families need. They offer affordable financing with no closing fees or down payments for those working with attorneys to move their case forward and to get attorneys out of the accounts receivable business. To learn more about the program, email immigration at goodfund.us or call 866-584-3651 and tell them who sent you. Our first and only case is Zaragoza v. Garland, published by the Seventh Circuit on November 8th, 2022. This case is about vacated criminal convictions and finally, matter of Thomas and Thompson. Ms. Zaragoza is a lawful permanent resident from Mexico. In 2013, she pled guilty to the Indiana offense of criminal neglect of a dependent after punishing her six-year-old son by locking him in a closet for six hours. Indiana Code Section 35-46-1-4, A2, to be specific. 
She received a one-year suspended jail sentence, credit for time served, plus 30 days, to be served on probation. So not much actual imprisonment, but as a legal matter, it's a sentence to imprisonment. Might not have made her lose her green card, except she took a trip outside the United States. God forbid. Upon her re-entry, CBP deemed the conviction a crime involving moral turpitude. That permitted DHS to treat Miseragoza not as a green card holder, but rather as an applicant for admission subject to the Section 212 grounds of inadmissibility. Love INA Section 11813C. That is, of course, assuming that the conviction is indeed a CIMT. An immigration judge and the BIA both believe that the conviction was. While that was all happening, though, Ms. Zaragoza and counsel were busy trying to get the conviction amended. If they reduced the sentence of imprisonment to under six months, Ms. Zaragoza would meet the petty offense CIMT exception at INA section 212A2AII, and this whole thing would go away. That's because under the exception, a conviction still won't make a non-citizen inadmissible, even if it matched the CIMT definition, if, quote, one, the maximum penalty possible for the crime did not exceed imprisonment for one year, end quote, and two, she, quote, was not sentenced to a term of imprisonment in excess of six months, regardless of the extent to which the sentence was ultimately executed, end quote. So you got to get the sentence under six months. And here, quote, the state court obliged and reduced her one-year sentence to 179 days, end quote. Well done. For those counting, 179 is less than 180. But the BIA said it didn't care, relying on Attorney General Barr's decision in matter of Thomas and Thompson. By the time of the state court action in this case, the Attorney General had changed the rules for these type of things, vacating three published BIA decisions that were pretty well established to hold that only state court modifications or clarifications or vacations to criminal convictions, quote, based on a legal defect in the underlying criminal proceeding, end quote, are effective for immigration purposes. That is, the state court has to change the conviction due to a substantive or procedural defect in the underlying criminal case itself, not for rehabilitative or immigration reasons. Ms. Zaragoza's modification was clearly done for immigration reasons. This used to be permitted for certain post-conviction actions. No longer, and Attorney General Garland has not saw fit to reinstate the multiple BIA precedent going back two decades vacated by Attorney General Barr, and so, matter of Thomas and Thompson, remains the law of the land. But to my knowledge, no circuit court has yet addressed the Thomas I. The dispute got to the Seventh Circuit through a few procedural moves not so important here, and at the Seventh Circuit, the dispute was heard. And of course, there's a few arguments before we get there. First, is the CIMT definition unconstitutionally vague? It is not, said the Seventh Circuit, and every circuit, and the Supreme Court 70 years ago. But there are a not insignificant amount of dissenting judges throughout the circuits who believe otherwise, by the way. To the extent the Supreme Court's 70-year-old decision is out of sync with recent Supreme Court decisions finding other statutes unconstitutionally vague, well, quote, that argument cannot succeed in the Court of Appeals. End quote. I have come to learn, however, that there is a very impressive challenge pending cert petition at the Supreme Court as we speak. 
Fingers crossed that the court takes the well-argued invitation to find the CIMT definition unconstitutional and to overturn its 70-year-old precedent. But this case is not that case. So second, does the criminal statute from Indiana even match the federal definition of a CIMT? The Indiana statute makes it unlawful for, quote, a person having the care of a dependent to knowingly or intentionally abandon or cruelly confine the dependent, end quote. Knowing or intentional conduct will almost certainly satisfy the mental state required for a state crime to be a CIMT. So, is the minimum harm criminalized sufficiently severe? It is, quote, Indiana courts have defined cruelly defines as confinement which is likely to result in a harm such as disfigurement, mental distress, extreme pain or hurt, or gross degradation, and yet does not necessarily endanger the dependent's life or health, end quote. That was reprehensible enough for the court, particularly as case law in Indiana explains that the lowest harm of mental distress is, quote, understood to encompass only the risk of severe emotional trauma, end quote. Viewing the facts of Ms. Zaragoza's own conviction, the Seventh Circuit also saw that the crime criminalized only reprehensible conduct. That means we're in petty offense territory, which means it's matter of Thomas and Thompson time. If the Seventh Circuit believes that decision wrong, the BIA erred in disregarding Ms. Zaragoza's sentence modification to 179 days from one year. She'll meet the petty offense exception, and she'll get to keep her green card. But in actuality, the Seventh Circuit said that there was nothing wrong with matter of Thomas and Thompson. The Seventh Circuit deemed the INA's definition of the words conviction and term of imprisonment ambiguous, and believed Attorney General Barr's interpretation of those terms reasonable, meaning that the Seventh Circuit deferred to matter of Thomas and Thompson under the Supreme Court's 1984 Chevron decision. So Ms. Zaragoza loses? She does not. Although Matter of Thomas and Thompson will stand in the 7th, the court is not going to permit the decision to apply retroactively to sentence modifications and clarifications that occurred before Matter of Thomas and Thompson was issued on October 25th, 2019. To get there, the 7th Circuit issued no small holding in and of itself, and determined that rather than the date of a conviction, quote, the proper reference point for the retroactivity inquiry is the February 2019 sentence modification order, end quote, in this case. It is on that date that, quote, when the state court entered the sentence modification order that Ms. Zaragoza acquired a legal entitlement to the petty offense exception under existing immigration law, end quote. To take that right away after the fact, due to matter of Thomas and Thompson, which was published after Ms. Zaragoza got her sentence modification, the Seventh Circuit believed that the BIA was acting in a way that exhibited, quote, manifest injustice, end quote. To make that latter holding manifest injustice, it's actually a five-factor analysis, but we're well into a long case here, so suffice it to say, it ended with a manifest injustice determination. That means, to the Seventh Circuit, that the BIA and the Attorney General and immigration judges cannot apply matter of Thomas and Thompson retroactively. And honestly, reading the Seventh Circuit's reasoning, it sure seems like any change to a published BIA decision that had been relied upon by a non-citizen is going to fail the retroactivity analysis in the Seventh Circuit. Here's looking at you, Trump-era Attorney General decisions. At the time of Ms. Zaragoza's sentence modification, 
The BIA's 2005 decision in matter of Cota Vargas applied, and under that case, the IJ and the BIA must defer to the 179-day sentence modification. With matter of Thomas and Thompson not retroactive in the Seventh Circuit, it is matter of Cota Vargas that applies still to this case. It doesn't matter that the BIA waited until after matter of Thomas and Thompson was published to rule in the case of Ms. Zaragoza. Case remanded. And oh, by the way, that goes for matter of Song and matter of Estrada, too, the other two decisions vacated by matter of Thomas and Thompson. Those two must be applied in the Seventh Circuit to state court actions pre-October 25th, 2019. So again, case remanded, and it looks like Ms. Zaragoza is going to keep her green card. But with one court now having technically deferred to matter of Thomas and Thompson and engaging in an extensive retroactivity analysis, I can only imagine that we'll be hearing from the circuit split gong in due time. More you say? I know that was all a lot, but we only have one case. Some interesting law here on the always complicated and evolving realistic probability test. That's what Ms. Zaragoza was trying to satisfy by pointing to the facts of her own case. Even if the statute criminalizes only morally turpitudinous conduct, if a non-citizen can point to their own case or another case showing otherwise, they can still win. But does the realistic probability test require a showing that states prosecute non-generic conduct? here, non-CIMT conduct, or that states successfully prosecute non-generic conduct. Ms. Zaragoza presented two Indiana state court cases that appear to show prosecutions of non-CIMT conduct under this Indiana statute, and so she might have succeeded in showing that the crime actually isn't a CIMT, because it's not always prosecuted as one in Indiana. But both prosecutions were reversed on appeal by the Indiana Appellate Court. And to the Seventh Circuit, to satisfy the realistic probability test, a non-citizen must show that the non-generic conduct is realistically, quote, successfully prosecuted under the statute in question, end quote. Emphasis by the court. So close, and yet so far. This is an evolving area of law. And just thinking out loud, this logic ignores the thousands of cases charged and that plead guilty every day in the criminal justice system that might indeed have ended in convictions for non-generic conduct. But the Seventh Circuit has spoken. Finally, as this decision regards Chevron deference to matter of Thomas and Thompson, I note that it looks like Chevron deference was on the potential chopping block at the Supreme Court this week, but the court declined the case. Reporting indicates that Justice Gorsuch was bullish in taking down Chevron in his dissent from the denial of the petition for cert. Surely not the last time I'll be mentioning something like this with Chevron. Justice Gorsuch has like 30 years to realize his administrative law dream. And that is Zaragoza v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.